I'm so excited to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. Hi, I'm Ezra. I'm Claudia. And I'm Chandler. And together we are honored to be nominated. A podcast that discusses every movie that's ever been nominated for an Academy Award in any category. What movie are we discussing today, Ezra? Uh, today we're discussing the uh, Best Picture winning One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, which is one of the only films to ever win the Big Five, which is Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. I mean, what's it all about? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, for those of you who don't know, it follows Jack Nicholson, um, who is playing a character, obviously. It's not just the Jack Nicholson story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a documentary about Jack Nicholson. Um, R.P. McMurphy. R.P. McMurphy, yes, um, who, uh, attempting to beat a rape charge, uh, decides to fake uh, being mentally ill in a very sort of nuanced and, I think, empathetic portrayal of mental illness that we'll get into. Wait, you... S- I'm sorry, you're already accusing him of faking? Well, I mean, I think it's you pretty... You're already he, going there? Do you think he fa- he's faking being mentally ill? Yes, it's explicit. Mm. I don't think that at all. I don't think oh, that I think at it's all. I don't think, I think he think. I oh, think oh he we're thinks... getting to, we're we're getting into it too soon. Okay, uh, this movie was also uh, nominated for best supporting actor, cinematography, film editing, and original score, and this was uh, made in 1975. If we didn't say that earlier, um, personally, this is one of my favorite movies, Fantastic. and I don't know if that's just because it has sort of a nostalgia aspect to it because this was. Uh, a movie that my dad and I kind of bonded over, interestingly enough. Um, he was the one who kind of told me about, like, this big five sort of thing. And this, as well as two other movies, are the only films to have ever won the big five, I believe. And it's this, um, Silence of the Lambs, and... It Happened One Night. It Happened One Night, which is a movie made in, like, the 30s. I a rom-com. And a rom-com, yes. Hmm. And One Christmas, when I was still quite young... My dad gifted me a box set of these three movies, and we kind of like talked about it, and then we watched them together, and it was it was a nice bonding experience. So that is why like this movie kind of is just it makes me it has I don't know I just like it. Giving it a second watch, I don't like it as much, <laughs> but it still has that like nostalgia aspect for me. Hmm. Uh, I like it a lot. I watched it first with my parents a couple years ago, and then. This is the third time I've watched it. I like the film a lot. I think it's a fantastic film. I think Jack Nicholson does good work. I think everybody involved does good work. I didn't realize until this third watch that that's Danny DeVito playing Martini. Mm-hmm. I did not I realize that. I realized that this watch as well, and this I is probably my third or fourth watch. Blew my mind. Danny DeVito blew looks very mind. different. So I had never seen this before, and I think for a bunch of reasons, and we'll get into it. Um, mm. So I'm going to sound really negative. I think it's a fine film. I don't think it's bad. Um, I just think that, like, categorically, it's the worst movie nominated in every category it's nominated in, and we'll get into it. Um, But I think the big issue for me is one of my, like, all-time favorite movies is Girl Interrupted, which I understand was made after this movie. I understand (laughs) that this movie came first. (laughs) However, Girl Interrupted is essentially this movie except with just queer women, and so I like it more. Um, And so it really just kind of felt like macho... Girdle Interrupted. And again, I understand that's a me problem, but the entire time I was like, I just wish I was watching Girdle Interrupted. 
Um, so we need to can we can we can we can we go back to you don't think that uh, Jack Nicholson's character has any sort of mental illness at all? Yeah, what mental illness does he have? Well, I think he's, he's he, I think he thinks that he is not mentally ill. No, no, but I what mental illness does he have? Bipolar. Yeah, I think he's very clearly bipolar. Or he clearly has clearly some sort of like state. anger management issues, and I clearly has I think some sort of if not bipolar, some sort of. Um, he's extremely impulsive. He has very high highs and very low lows. He, you kind of like watch that unfold. He he leaps to anger very instantly. Um, I think the I think the I think the the filmmakers want you to think that he he that there is something not right with this man. I think the 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 idea of Jack Nicholson's character is, is sometimes mental illness doesn't look like what we think it looks like. And sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes it looks functional. Sometimes it looks very highly functional, but also like a little bit like, you know, this this monster of a human being. Yeah, I think the the question that they kept posing is, are these people mentally ill or are they just assholes? And I think the answer is both sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, easy to just dismiss some of the characters and be like, ah, they're just assholes. But no, like... At least they, I mean, because we learn later in the film that a lot of them are there voluntarily, so they're not committed by anyone. They're not forced to be there. But mm -hmm. obviously they don't feel mentally or fully right. So they're, you know, taking their own, their their mental state into their own hands. Yeah. And I think, and I, th I also, like, I think that, um, we, we, we are made to believe that very, very specifically because otherwise your protagonist it becomes kind of fully irredeemable otherwise if you don't think that there is something something else there with him right because I, I think he is otherwise a fully irredeemable character right if there isn't some sort of justifiable reason why he behaves the way that he does um then i like then he's just a monster um where, where like he he is a child rapist and he certainly is a monster, but like I think that there the 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 movie the movie is trying to tell you that there are layers to this man, that there is a reason why he behaves this way. I mean, I guess like that's a valid interpretation. I just didn't get that, and so like I think my issue with this movie, kind of in general, one of my many issues with it, is that it's a if it's a very Hollywood portrayal of mental illness, where it's very Hollywood hmm. and it's it feels very sanitized. And it feels very like a, you got eight character actors in a room and have them act crazy, um, and so I think that like, it didn't only fit not only feeling very Hollywood but also old school, which it is. Mm -hmm. Well, and that kind of goes into like my essentially my biggest critique of it, which is fair and fair and unfair, is that I think that the direction is super super aloof, and so which is definitely a choice. Like, it's definitely a choice to like it's not an emotional film. You are like. Um, the characters are emotional, but the but the director never really asks you as the audience to like um, emotionally engage, which again is obviously intentional. But it made me not care, and so I was like, oh. And so it felt very much like this is an adaptation of a book, obviously, but it's, it's more specifically an adaptation of the Broadway play, and it felt like watching a play where I kept writing in my notes, oh, I could tell this is a play adaptation. Where it feels very like just sit back, da da, and it feels very like of a play of that era. Where you're like, oh, I'm just watching some people be bad. I thought the play came after the movie. No, play came first. Is that not? No. The journey of this movie was that the the book came out. It was kind of this hit, 
Um, interestingly, the author of the book, whose name I don't remember, specifically said that he spent some time in a mental institution. But was like, no, these people aren't crazy. It's like society that's crazy, man. And so like, so he writes this novel that kind of blows up and becomes a huge hit. And then it gets adapted into a off-Broadway and then a Broadway play, interestingly starring um, uh, Gene Wilder in a supporting role. But more importantly, having Kirk Douglas as the Jack Nicholson character, who was the biggest star of the time. Um, but then... Um, he purchases the rights because he wants to make it into a movie, but then they can't find funding, and so he becomes too old to play it. So he sells the rights to his son, Michael, who is at that time a TV actor who can't make it who can't make it into like the like into movies. And so then Michael Douglas produces this film and wins an Oscar for producing it long before he went he's even nominated for acting. Huh. Wow. That's fun little history there. And that's why DeVito's in it, because DeVito was in the play, and he's, all, like, really good friends with Michael Douglas. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, does that that doesn't know. give an explanation why Danny DeVito looks so vastly different in this movie than he ever does. Well, I mean, it was, was young. 40 years ago. He was a baby. <laughs> I know, but he just, I didn't even recognize him. He looks so, like, some people, like, age, and they just kind of look the same. I think not. he kind of looks the same, just younger. Going back to what you said about, like, not being able, like, the audience doesn't mm-hmm. feel the emotions... I wrote that in my notes as well, that, like, we almost kind of, like, get somewhere where it's, like, like something big is going to happen, but then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I agree that it is, like, a choice, mm-hmm. a, director, a directorial choice, a writing choice. I don't know. It kind of resonates with me because it feels like a reflection of, like, what these people might be going through. Um, I personally have never been in a mental, in- mental institute, but, like, I don't know. I could assume that it just feels like you're waiting and waiting and waiting for something, but then nothing happens. It's almost like anticlimactic. I don't know. That's just how I, what I was receiving from it. Hmm. You, what you're saying is that the, that the feeling that, that this is never ending or that this is yeah. always going to something, but there is no climax of that. Something is, is a comment on, on how, mental health in the in the country at the time well probably yeah, still you now is 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 essentially just continuing a cycle of abuse yeah you don't always get that big release that you sort of crave right especially not in this hospital because they clearly don't know how to that was like all of my notes were like clearly we did never know how to deal with mental illness but just electrocute people and cut their brains yeah, off. I- I also wrote, um, I wonder how well this film aged uh, with all we know now about mental illness. And then the immediate next note was not well. Yeah. This film did not age well. And I guess to to speak to your point, Claudia, and about the aging is, again, I I think what you said is probably correct. I think that probably is why he made that choice. I mean, this foreman, the director. I guess my problem with it is that it just doesn't work for me because I don't find, I think if you're going to be that aloof, the content needs to be like super, super interesting. And I just wasn't, I think for people who this movie works for, you get like really, really invested in the sort of um, Jack Nicholson versus Nurse Nurse Ratchet conflict. And I kind of just didn't care where I was like, yeah, sure. Nurse Ratchet's basically right. But also like chill have out. You, have you read the book? No. Have you Chandler? No, of course not. Okay, so I have, and, I, you know, I think what you do if there's a book that you love that is made into a movie, you kind of, like, drag along the feelings that you got from the book, which obviously is much more fleshed out. Um, you kind of drag those feelings along into the movie with you, so I think that I'm also approaching this this movie from that place, where I do have, like, a 
deeper understanding of the characters because I have read the original source material, but whatever, mm. like, <laughs> who gives a shit sometimes? So I think for me, especially from like an Oscar standpoint, is that watching it for the first time for this podcast, I obviously like looked up what categories it was in before I watched it. And um, I think arguably four of the greatest American films of all time came out this year. Um, and specifically one of my like top seven favorite films of all time in Dog Day Afternoon. And so in every category as I was watching, it, I was like, like one of my notes, like, yeah, Jack Nicholson's good. He's not Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. And so I think it's like, it suffers from like the issue of the Oscars, right? Is that like perfectly like I have nothing I've, on Letterboxd. I rated this three and a half stars out of five. I think it's a perfectly fine B minus. I'm not mad I saw it, but I think that like from an Oscars perspective, it gets really tricky because it's like, does this movie hold up as well as those uh, as those films? I kind of don't think so, and that's kind of how I felt about the screenplay too, where if it felt very of its time, in a way that mm-hmm. I think that like other screenplays of this year feel timeless. I mean, is it always inherently bad to be of the time? That it's very much of of the moment that it was in? I mean, like, yes and no. I mean, like, I think, like, if my note is that it didn't age well for me, then it didn't age, like, like, I think that, like, do I think this is a bad screenplay? No. I don't think any element of this movie is bad. I just think that, like... It's just not as good as some of the other Yeah, it's just, like, it's a movie that's okay for me. Sure. Where, like... You know, I see a lot of movies every year, and like this is a movie that if it came out last year when I saw it, back when we could go to movie theaters, um, that I would have been like, oh yeah, great, good, good movie. Mm. But it's not a movie yeah, I totally. love, you know. Sure. Yeah. All right. I think a lot of the reason why people like love this movie so much, or like it's you know top of the list, is because it just won this like big mm-hmm. five, which you know. If Jaws had won the big five, like, we'd all be talking about Jaws or uh, the movie you were talking about or Nashville, whatever. Like, but because this was, like, you know, one of the only ones to ever, like, this would have been the second time in history Mm -hmm. that it won all of those categories. And that's, like, that's a big deal. Well, this is getting, I guess, a little bit off the beaten track. But I think this is something, so Milos Forman, who directed this, also directed Amadeus which also won director, uh, picture, and I believe director a couple of years later. Yes, it did. Um, it did. I, I've, I've seen Amadeus. And it is, I think, a better movie. Um, yeah. But what's interesting is that looking at the list of the five movies nominated for Best Picture, it's Cuckoo's Nest, which wins, Barry Lyndon, which is Kubrick, which is a Kubrick film, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and then Robert Altman's Nashville. And I would argue from like a filmmaking perspective, I think that while this one is one of the more iconic ones, I think it's the least influential. I think modern films are more influenced by all four mm-hmm. of those other ones, and I don't really see a lot of Foreman in general or um, Cuckoo's Nest specifically in modern films. I can't point to a modern film that I think is influenced by this, other than Girl Interrupted. Uh, not girl. Yeah, Girl Interrupted. Not girl Interrupted. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, movie. But, but I mean, like, but like, for like, Dog Day Afternoon is one of the first portrayals of a trans character in American cinema. And yeah. Jaws is Jaws, and Barry Lyndon is many people consider Kubrick's greatest work. And then Nashville is where many people consider Altman's greatest work. So do we want to transition into talking about actors? actors? The Jack Nicholson? I love Jack Nicholson. I think he's I, fantastic in this. I think he's fantastic. I think he does great work. I, and well, I, mean, I, I think he's extremely, extremely hot. So. <laughs> wow. Especially young you. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that makes just... a lot of sense for you, Claudia, that, that track. Oh, he's so cute. 
That's that tracks. Um, also, a little cutie who should have won is the actor who played Billy. Okay. Billy does so great work. Every other note of mine is Brad Dorf is so hot. Like you do not understand. Yes. That makes sense for you, Ezra. No, he's adorable. <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he deserves an Oscar nomination because he kind of, kind of like it's kind of a nothing character where he just is there. It is pretty and stutters oh. and then kills himself, and that's kind of the yeah, full I think it works. I mean, I sure. With what he's given, I think it's great. I think that's the problem. Is what he's given. I, I guess to go back that. to go back to Jack. I think Jack is like one of the greatest American actors, obviously, right? Objective. I think what I go to Nicholson for is like these really big energy, and this feels mm-hmm. like one of his more restrained performances. And so for me, I was like, I wanted The Shining a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more of that like Jack Nicholson spark, and it felt really kind of pulled back. Really, mm-hmm. I don't get that mm-hmm. at all. I get. Yeah, I, don't know. I feel I don't know. like full Jack Nicholson energy, just like crazy, like. Wide eyes, like I, I don't know, just, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think Jickle, he's going full Nicholson crazy energy in this. I, 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 I have to disagree with you on that one. I mean, he's not like The Shining level, but I don't know if that's what this would be called for. I just felt like it needed, I think, a, a lot of energy at this because because the direction is so aloof. I wanted more from Jack so that it would be more engaging to watch. I think he's doing really good sure. work and really subtle work, but I'm like, everything else about this movie is subtle. We need somebody who's making choices. See, I craved that from Nurse Ratched. Correct. Also correct. Because like, to me, this psych ward has kind of sucked the life out of these men, and they're kind of just like rotting in their own, you know, underwear, and it's just, it's so sad. And then they they all kind of live in fear of Nurse Ratched, and then she comes out, and I'm like, she's fine. Like, what's wrong with her? In the book, that, she is portrayed like so cunty, and she is just not in the film. I don't. I don't think know. She, I, I honestly that, don't think she deserved I, an Oscar. But I don't think she's. I also don't think she's wow. that mean. I wow. I'm gonna take a hard stance against both of you on this one. I think she does great work. I think she's exactly what she needs to be. I think she's cold and and calculating and and manipulative. I I mean. I, I mean, she I is, she but then I needed that, like, snap. I needed that, like... I think it's great that she doesn't do that. I think it's great that she's constantly just perfectly calm and cool and cold. Because I think that's the antithesis of, of Jack, right? Because he's all over the place, right? He's he's calm, and then he's, like, he's pretending that he the electric shock therapy destroyed his brain, and he's back at it again, and he's crazy Jack. I think it's great that she's constantly just cold and herself forever. Because, like, the the... The, the the patients want that out of her. They want her to, to explode. They want something else from her. And the fact that she doesn't give that, and the fact that she's always like that, I think is great. It, to the point where it, it stems into, to, you know, telling Billy in this cold, restrained manner that, that she's going to call his mother. Um, and then, like, I think I think that, that constant consistency from her is not only a great acting choice because it would be good as a nurse to be consistent in her view with these patients, but, like, I think it's a... Great antithesis to Jack's character. I think she does fantastic work. See, I think Jim, she's one I don't, of great villains. I don't disagree. I guess my issue is with your last point is that I don't think she's a good villain because I don't think she's wrong. And then watching it again, it kind she's of not. felt like she is the villain because she's not letting the straight man have what he wants. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of where, like, I uh, don't well, think that if her character was a man, we'd consider her a villain. Well, no, I don't think she's a, she's actually a villain. She's just a villain to Jack's protagonist i think she actually cares i mean with this that great scene where she where she fights to keep jack nicholson there because 
she thinks that she can actually help him. I mean, I think she actually cares. I think that's what's very interesting about her character is that she's not a villain, that she's just trying to help these people, and that Jack's just coming in and screwing it all up. I don't think she intended intended to, you know, I don't think she intended to use Billy's mother to get him to, to you know, spin out and kill himself. But, I mean, like, you know, I think she is trying. I think that's what's interesting. And I guess I, I, I agree. I think my problem is that, I think my problem with this movie in general is like the reputation killed it. Where like she is listed as number five on the greatest, the, on the list of greatest villains of all time, but from the AFI. Like in ahead of, I believe of Darth Vader. Which you're like, come on. Like she's not. She is rated one of the greatest villains of all times. So I mean, she's a great, I think she's great. I don't think, a, she's good, I think she's a good antagonist. I don't think she's a good villain. No, she's an antagonist. Yeah. She isn't a villain. But and she's I guess that's she's rated, but yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's my problem is that I wanted more. I wanted more from Jack either as the chaos, or I wanted more from her as the like villain. And it felt everyone felt yeah. so muted that I was like, I just, I just, it was just really boring. Are we talking cinematography, film editing, score? Those were the other nominations. Right. The score is fine. I mean, it loses to potentially the greatest film score of all time. <laughs> so yeah, it's Jaws. just yeah, what right. is this? So. What does it lose to? Jaws. Oh, oh, <laughs> well deserved. If <laughs> Jaws didn't, like, yeah. yeah, if Jaws didn't win that Oscar, that would be a. Tragedy. I mean, I do like the. I love the score because, especially like during when yeah. he's being suffocated with the like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that is a good powerful, part. but yeah, powerful. But that's the only point I can talk about like the rest i'm just like eh, was there music was there not i don't know moving to film editing i must comment on this okay there the scene where harding the guy with the glasses the guy who they're like you're a queer um mm, yes. with uh with the cigarette the mustache he like loses his cigarette and he's like crawling on the floor looking for a cigarette the way they edited it i don't know if they just didn't have enough footage or was an oversight he says i'm so sorry i i lost i don't know he says something three times he says two lines three times i'm like that like sounded bad like we heard him say the exact three two lines three times it doesn't make any sense oh was it not i thought that was written that way i thought it was written like he was like i being doubt it I thought it was like a like a I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm uh, uh, like a like a mental thing. I it didn't, didn't sound like that. The way that uh, he delivered it sounded like it was like these are my two lines and now I am done talking. But because they shot it from you know probably four or five different angles, he they had footage of him saying it about four or five times and they mm. used three of them. Oh, all from I didn't different angles that. but the same line. And I was like, could you not have like dubbed another line over or just taken the line out? It drove me hmm. mad. Claudia, our local editor. I didn't even notice that. I'm nitpicky. That's all I have to say about the editing, though. It's fine. (laughs) That's also how I feel about the cinematography, where I'm like, yeah, there there were were images. They put put Uh, images on film. Some of the shots were really good. Some of the shots were really good. I mean, it also loses to one of the most iconic cinematographies of the 70s. Which is? Barry Lyndon. Nashville? Barry Lyndon. Oh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. No, but so every shot is made to look like a painting, and so Kubrick brings in all these like Renaissance mm-hmm. paintings, and so they shoot it so that every it's so, like you can literally like do side by side comparisons of shots of Barry Lyndon and Renaissance paintings, and it's exact. Oh wow. my god! I Down to like hand that. placements. Yeah, the the cinematography is like I don't like 
It is. It is, serves its purpose. Yeah. There's some cool shots. It doesn't... Can I just read one quote from the director? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where when asked about it towards the end of his life, now he was uh, Czech, so he was from uh, the Czech Republic. And he said, this was a very personal movie to me. Communism was my nurse ratchet. <laughs> and so he what? made this movie about how he felt oppressed by communism and Stalinist Czechoslovakia. Well, I mean, you know, the 70s. I mean, like, sure, but I was sure. like, I didn't see that. I guess, I guess no, that was, I was going to say, you don't see it. That was my big problem of that, like, everyone talks, like, I was reading reviews and was like, yes, this movie perfectly captures the, like, social challenges between the two, between, like, the old and the new. And I was like, but... And it's like, well, it's like Ratchet's not letting him do what he wants to do because he's in an insane asylum because he raped a child. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, maybe you don't get to watch the ball game. Sorry, Jack. They really brushed that rape kind of under the Real rug fat. there. They were just like, yep, yeah, you raped a 15-year-old. It was statutory rape. He said, she said she was she 19 asked for and moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge risk as a, you're going to, like, Five minutes in, you're going to be like, yeah, your protagonist, he's, he's a child raper. It's like, wow, that's a huge risk that you're trying to get us to sympathize with. Um, his baseball, like watching the World Series, his request is not that un, like unreasonable. She's very no. strict about this baseball thing. It's not, just let him watch the World Series. I don't, why, why is that an unreasonable request? I, I mean, I thought that her argument about, like, we can't change up everyone's schedule just because you want something. Because presumably well, there are people in there who like, do need their schedule. Yeah, but then why don't you just let those people do the normal schedule and then just let Jack and Cheswick and all the other people that want to watch baseball watch baseball? What's the difference? Well, so I sort of connected it to um, when McMurphy does the little cigarette lesson with, um, is it Martini? Yeah. Martini, he, yeah. How Martini has the, breaks he the, breaks yeah. it in half and he's like, no, I have two. And Nicholson is like, that's not how this works. So it's kind of like he's like, he understands what the rules are and he understands that like, the rules really can't be broken unless they apply to him. Mm. Which is kind of just what I got out of it. Where do those women come from? Like, how Like how are they... Like, how does McMurphy know that? Yes, like, so I watched They're this movie at 2 in the morning. Are they prostitutes? Was that established? Uh, I, I think mean, it's heavily implied that they are... Yeah. If not prostitutes, a friend that is loose with herself I don't know if it's explicit that she is a prostitute they, she is clearly his friend and like you know someone that he has known I, before but I think that it's it's implied that she is a, at least not maybe not a woman of the night but at least loose I think in the book it's it's been a really long time since I've read it but I think it's clarified that like he had a relationship with Cherry I think is her name I believe mm-hmm. like before he went into the insane asylum so like he's able to like contact her i don't know i think it's just a friend of his that like likes to have fun and her friend god bless and scatman crothers scatman crothers who who so he plays the uh night orderly who they get drunk um and oh. he's also oh, yeah, yeah. the guy in the shining oh yeah. really so later, him and uh, Nicholson will go off to do The Shining together. That's after mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And then Jack Nicholson is also in a movie that Danny DeVito directs. Really? What movie? Um, Hoffa. Huh. More, you know. There are 
five working actors in the world. Indeed. Great. So should we transition into should it have yeah. won? And the Oscar goes to... Take it away, Ezra. Great. So um, we're going to start off with editing. Ezra thinks it should have won nothing. Um, yes. <laughs> so the nominees <laughs> into film editing are Jaws, which wins, Dog Day Afternoon, The Men Who Would Be King, Three Days in the Condor, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Jaws wins? Yeah. I'm okay with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't seen Three Days in the Condor. That's the only one of these I haven't seen. Um, but that's like a thriller, so I could also see that having really good editing. Cinematography. Um, the nominees are Barry Lyndon, which wins, Funny Lady, Day of the Locust, The Hindenburg, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, Barry Lyndon. Based on, based on what you said about Barry Lyndon, was it Barry yeah, Lyndon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. that sounds incredible, so yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that as well. Um, in score, the nominees are Jaws, that wins, Bite the Bullet, Wind in the Lion, and Cuckoo's Nest. Absolutely Jaws. Jaws. Absolutely Jaws. But, but without question. I mean, it's that dun-dun. Iconic. I think, is that John Williams' first Oscar? Uh, Probably. I think it is. Probably. No. When was Star Wars was 70? Does he win for Star Wars? If he, he had to have won for Star Wars. I don't necessarily think he did. If he didn't, that's a tra- tragedy. That, that, you got some bad news that, for you about the Oscar. Oof. Star Wars, Star Wars wouldn't work without that score. Star Wars is the score. What beat it? Like okay, so here, has... so John Williams has uh, a bunch of Oscars. His first Oscar, the composer of Jaws. Yes. yes. His first Oscar is in 1972 for Fiddler on the Roof. Oh. oh. His second oh. is in 1976 for Jaws. His third is 1978 for Star Wars. New Hope. Yeah. Okay. His next is 83 for E.T., then 94 for Schindler's List. Wow, this man's got a lot of Oscars. Um, The same year as Star Wars, he was also nominated for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Just very quickly. So he did two movies in one year? 76. 76 is Jaws. 78 is Star Wars and Close Encounters. 79 is Superman. 81 is Empire Strikes Back. 82 is Raiders of the Lost Ark. 83 is E.T., 84 is Return of the Jedi, and 85 oh is Temple of Doom. What in the world? And then 94 is Schindler's List. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he did a million things. Uh, including Home Alone. Oh, my God. in the world? Saving well, Private Ryan, was... uh, Harry Potter, and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, right, yeah. I did not realize he was this prolific. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, wait a minute. So he... So was he nominated... Twice in one year? Yes, he was. He went against yeah. himself? He won against himself, <laughs> yes. So he lost and won at the same time. Yeah. For best adapted screenplay, um, Cougar's Nest wins, beating Barry Lyndon, The Men Who Would Be King, Sunshine Boys, and Performa di Donna. I really like this screenplay. Uh, I have not seen... This is adapted screenplay, though, right? Yes. You're reading? Okay. I like the screenplay a lot. So, not knowing the others, really, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah. I would probably give it to Barry Lyndon, though The Men Who Would Be King is a movie that shouldn't work and kind of works because of the screenplay. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Best Supporting Actor? Um, George Burns wins for The Sunshine Boys. Burgess Meredith is nominated for Day of the Locust. Chris Sarandon is nominated for Dog Day Afternoon. Jack Warden for Shampoo. 
and Brad Dorif for uh, Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, I think Brad Dorif does really good work, but I, I'm happy that it's going somewhere else. Like, it's fine. I mean, he does really <laughs> um, work, but he's not a huge part of the movie. Chris Sarandon is incredible in Doctor Great. Uh, for Best Actress, uh, Louise Fletcher wins for playing Nurse Ratchet. Um, Isabel Ajanani, I apologize if I said that wrong, for the story of Adele H. And Margaret for Tommy, Glenda Jackson for Hedda, Carol Kane for Hester Street. Hedda as in, like, Hedda Gabler. Hedda Gabler? Hmm, maybe she should have won. Glenda Jackson already has two. I have to give it to Ratchet. I think she does great work. I think. I don't know. She's my Ratchet least favorite performance work. of this um, movie. I uh, everyone else. I give it to Anne Margaret and Tommy. Best Actor, um, Jack Nicholson wins, um, beating Walter Matthew for The Sunshine Boys, Al Pacino for Dog Day Afternoon, Maximilian Schell from The Man in the Glass Booth, and James Whitmore for Give Him Hell, Harry. Wow, that's a list. Um, Al Pacino has one Academy Award and Jack Nicholson has three. Uh, and Al Pacino wins for what might be his worst performance. What did he, uh, dog, he win for? He wins for Scent of a Woman. Like mm. 20 years after he's done anything good. He, he loses never, for All the Godfathers. He, he loses for, Godfather? for Dog Day Afternoon. No. He didn't win Godfather? Really? He did not. <laughs> Who did he lose to in Godfather 2? Joel Grey. Oh. For Cabaret? I would have given it to Al Pacino. No. That's, that's not fair. That's I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of performance but back to nicholson what el- what other oscars does he have um so he has uh, a supporting for terms of endearment and then um as good as it gets okay hmm. i don't know i like his performance in this but based on what you're saying about al pacino it sounds like he deserves that oscar so it is his best yeah i mean I, I really like i think uh jack nicholson does some great work yeah. here i don't think it's his best performance um um, and I, I kind of think, on, on a ratio scale, Al Pacino tends to be better than Jack Nicholson, but that's a sort of numbers game. Um, for Best Director, Milos Forman wins for directing Kuznets, beating Fellini for Amacord, Stanley Kubrick for Barry Lyndon, Sidney Lumet for Dog Day Afternoon, and Robert Altman for Nashville. Quick question. Um, mm-hmm. Kubrick does not have an Oscar, right? Neither does Altman. I think, I don't know, I don't know Barry Lyndon, but I, I, the fact that Stu and the Keyboard have gotten an Oscar is really kind of uh, the greatest tragedy of American cinema. It is, what's interesting is that if you, the two most nominated directors to never win an Oscar are um, Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Robert Altman, and then an, another one that was nominated all the time and never won was Stanley Kubrick. So the fact that we have two of these like, three greats, plus Sidney Lumet, who I don't believe has one either, plus Fellini, who is one of the greatest directors in world cinema, the fact that all four of these giants of the cinema lost to this batshit, dogshit, crackerjack job is offensive. <laughs> the that is good. So my it's question is... Stanley Kubrick level good. Like I, but it's fine. It's a good... Directing is very good. So my question is, are you saying, like... Were they these giants back in 1976? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Okay. Yes. Stanley okay. Kubrick was right. still huge. I mean, this was... So this director his... of Cuckoo's Nest, I don't even remember his name. Just He's a nobody and just beat no, out he's all not a nobody. Stuff. He just... I mean, if you look at... Like, he, he directed Amadeus. He directed this. He directs really kind of boring, straight-ahead Academy shit. And so the fact that he was <laughs> able to beat four incredible... Like, 
No director today cites Milos Forman as a as an influence. Essentially, I would mm-hmm. argue every working director would cite Kubrick, Altman, and Fellini, and probably Lumet as well. This is a yeah, travesty. Is. One of the one of the worst wins of all time, in my opinion. Interesting. Who and who would you give it to? I take literally any of the others. Literally any of the Liter- others. I haven't seen um, that Fellini film. But I don't believe Fellini has an Oscar, which is also a crime. Stanley Kubrick should have an Oscar. Robert Altman definitely should have an Oscar. And Sidney Lumet should have an Oscar. So, like, yeah, throw a dart. When you're talking like politics and like, like, as we've discussed, like we wanted to, we want to talk about like what was going on in the world during this that particular Oscar season. If like these four greats were like up against this kind of newbie director, and like he won, that's crazy. I wonder why. I wonder who. I would paid off who? I would actually I would say that this could be the greatest category of all time at the Oscars if we took out Milos Forman and put in Steven Spielberg for Jaws. Yeah, I'm surprised Jaws was not nominated. <laughs> that is surprising that uh, he was not nominated. And so if if it was those those five you're like, oh, this is the best category the Academy ever did. Like they're like but no one cares about Milos Forman. Why did he why does he have two Oscars? The man has two Oscars for best directing and Stanley Kubrick has zero. <laughs> As was heated. And finally, best picture. Best picture. Cuckoo, Cuckoo's Nest wins, beating Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville. See, this is my point, Ezra. I don't understand why you love the Oscars so much. They're so disappointing. It's complicated. Stuff like this, where where they will give, they will, you know, they'll give some nobody an Oscar, but Stanley Kubrick, arguably the greatest filmmaker of all time, just doesn't have anything. I mean, oh, hold on. I'm looking at Milo's Foreman movies. I think I don't think it's necessarily fair to describe him as a nobody. So, I mean, okay. Like, Barry Lyndon is potentially the greatest ep- like epic since Gone with the Wind. Dog Day Afternoon is one of the greatest thrillers ever made. Jaws creates a genre. There are no summer blockbuster movies before Jaws. And then Nashville Never. is like, every single indie movie you see today owes a debt to Nashville. Like, literally, at the Indie Spirit Awards, which are the award, the Oscars for independent films, they named their top award after Robert Altman, because that's how important he is to modern indie cinema. And so the fact that these four titans of the industry in films that we still talk about today lost to a movie in which a bunch of able-bodied people play disabled is fucking offensive. Yeah, no, that's fair. Why, why do, hey. like... No, seriously, like, who... Who involved in Cuckoo's Nest like paid off who at the Oscars to like well, that's what it kind is. of make this kind of make this like undeserved sweep? I don't think that's... it's that I don't think it's that anyone paid off. I think it's it's the most accessible. Where like Barry Lyndon is three and a half hours long, it is based in paintings. Dog Day Afternoon and it's is about all, how we it's should all rob... or colonial yeah. period. So this appealed to the general yeah, public. And so Dog Day Afternoon ah. is about robbing banks so you can pay for your trans partner surgery. Nashville right. is a is a plotless film where it's 15 characters just like wandering through Nashville talking about the state of America. And then Jaws is a monster movie. Of course, the old white men of the Academy are going to vote for like, man, that Jack Nicholson, he did some good work. I like that book very much. Shit. Yeah. Now, having said that, <laughs> that makes me so sad for liking this movie so much. It's, it's fine. Movie. There's nothing wrong with it's the movie. It's a good movie. I know. Yeah. I think yeah. point is that it is a, it is a good movie. It's maybe even a great movie, but like, you are putting up against uh, arguably some of the greatest filmmakers of yeah. all time. Like, if you were to make a list of the greatest American films, three of these films are on the list, and Cuckoo's Nest is not one of them. Correct. Yeah. 
don't think people are studying Cuckoo's no. Nest in yeah. film school. I apologize to the listeners, but not to Chandler for getting so hot and bothered. I just, <laughs> I think what is frustrating about the Oscars and what's fun about them is that it's not, it's not a quality contract. It's like all these other things. Like it's like, it's the politics of it and it's the blah, 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 and the bullshit. Right? Popularity contest. Yeah. And so it's just very, fr- I mean, it reminds me of, I think it was 2010 when the King's Speech beat out arguably four of the greatest American films of the last 20 years. Yeah. And if you look at that list, you're like, oh, the King's Speech is the worst movie nominated for Best Picture this year. And it feels the same way. Like, is the King's Speech a bad movie? No, not at all. It's a B minus, B, B plus, like whatever. Have, have your fun. Very what? boring movie. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about Cuckoo's Nest. I'm like, am I like, like, is it Scoob? No. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Scoob. (laughs) The the literal premise of the movie is, man, isn't this medical professional mean to this child rapist? That is the conflict of the film. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, like, that is, like, that's the issue is the conflict of the film, in my opinion, is broken. Because the issue is they never really establish what crazy is and what sane is, so there's no so there's no tension. Well, that's the point. But there's no tension. Like, again, it's a good... If we were just talking about this, like, at a bar, I'd be like, yeah, good movie. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But we're critics. Just, we're going to analyze it. Yeah, we're, we're right. critics now. No, of course. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think it just shouldn't have gone up against the... the yeah. Other movies in this i'll also say i'm sure when it came to voting voters you know being old white men i'm sure they had a similar feeling that i did like that nostalgia or like oh i love that book so much like oh of course it's a great movie like kind of just being blind to that yeah i'll admit i'm probably i was a little blind to it i'm my eyes were opened (laughs) watching it as a critic now but um all right we covered everything right yeah. I just need to do what we've been watching. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Ezra, what have you been watching this week? Don't start with me. Claudia, <laughs> what you been watching this week? What have I been watching this week? Um, so as mentioned in previous episodes, I have been watching some newer things on Netflix. And uh, as we've discussed, I am more of a TV show person uh, versus movies. David and I have been watching um, the Versace series, which I find really intriguing and really well-made. Thoroughly enjoying myself. Chandler, what about you? Um, You know, last night I tried to start the Jeffrey Epstein Filthy Rich documentary. Um, It got way too much, and I had to turn it off uh, because I... Not mentally prepared for that, so I started watching Twin Peaks instead. Uh, very, very good. <laughs> I am not smart enough for the show. David Lynch is too smart of a director for me, um, so some of it I think I feel like is coming going over my head. But it is very good, and I'm enjoying it. So, which episode are you on? Uh, episode four, I think I just finished. Um, it's wild. Um, so I actually have been I've been doing a lot of reading this week. Um, I'm Ooh. working my way through. She reads. Uh, uh-huh. She reads. She's literate. Um, I've been working my way through Sherry Wolf's um, <laughs> excellent sexuality and socialism book, which is a history of sexuality and how it relates to socialist theory, which I highly recommend to all of our listeners who might want to check that out. 
Um, I also watched Jaws for the first time this morning in preparation of this podcast because I'd never seen it. And it's really good, shockingly. Um, and I also interestingly kind of connected to what we talked about today, but I've been working through Robert Altman's filmography. Um, I recently watched California Split, which is maybe the best gambling movie of all time. Just a really, really, really great movie. So, yeah. Hmm. So that's all we have for you guys today. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a rating and review. Uh, Share this with your friends uh, or family members who are movie lovers. We are also on Instagram at htbn.podcast. So give us a follow there so you know when we're posting new episodes and just keeping up with us. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This is Chandler signing off. Bye. Bye.